Hi, everyone. This is Jim McCarty, welcoming you to the LL Research Podcast in the Now, episode number 11. LL Research is a nonprofit organization dedicated to freely sharing spiritually oriented information and fostering community. And towards this end has two websites the archive website, llresearch.org, and the community website, bringforth.org. During each episode, those of us at LL Research form a panel to consider questions from spiritual seekers. Our panel consists of Gary Bean, Director of LL Research, and Austin Bridges, Assistant Director of LL Research, along with myself, husband of the late Carla L. Rucker, scribe for The Raw Contact, and President of LL Research, each of us a devoted seeker and student of the Law of One. We will, excuse me, we will be discussing questions that are sent to us from spiritual seekers around the globe. Our replies to these questions are not final or authoritative. Instead, they are generally subjective interpretations stemming from our own studies and life experiences. We intend this podcast to be a platform of discussion as we consider questions that often challenge us to articulate our own perspective. We always ask each who listens to this exercise his or her own discernment and listen for her or his own resonance in determining what is true for him or her. If you would like to submit a question for the show, please do so. Our humble podcast relies on your questions. You may either send an email to contact at llresearch.org or go to www.llresearch.org forward slash podcast for further instructions. Again, I'm Jim McCarty, and we're embarking on a new episode of LL Research's weekly podcast in the now. Is everybody here and ready to roll? I am here and ready to roll. I am ready. All right. Our first question today comes from Folklove via Bring Forth, and it is, how do you deal with and express most health, excuse me, most healthily and effectively hatred towards other people, and more specifically, one's family? Okay, who would like that one? That's a juicy one. Gary, what do you think? At least you didn't have to say peculiarly. Yeah, peculiarly. <laughs> <laughs> that was the one that got me last time. Um, <clears throat> I think, in reply to Folklev's great question, that um, a person in that situation has a couple basic options. Um, on the one hand, <clears throat> either way, you have to honor what you feel and acknowledge you feel what you feel, which I think Folklev sounds like um, they're already on that path. But option one, um, you could feed that hatred and energize it through identification and justification. You can project that hatred onto... Uh, the face of others, in, uh, including and especially the family member or members in your question. And uh, you can repress it out of respect for those family members because they're close to you, right? Or they're an important part of your life, but you nevertheless feel this hatred. And so you can repress it in respect for them, but uh, chances are it's going to boil over at some point and you're going to say or do something hurtful when the circumstances trigger the hatred into an acute phase. Uh, chances are that family members doing something that uh, you're not happy with. Uh, then you can experience the results of communicating that hatred as hatred. And that could potentially lead to breakthroughs in communication and the possibility of understanding and even, best case scenario, uh, healing um, it's happened in my case. I've communicated anger. I've been the recipient of communicated anger. And uh, as long as it's with another positively polarized person who's oriented towards communication, then you know, we can work it out and uh, the relationship is stronger afterwards. But I think more often than not on this planet, just communicating that hatred uh, likely just triggers similar energy in reply. 
And uh, I, that cycle can go on indefinitely. There's no wrong to that. Um, the other way, and I think this is more in line with the law of one, is that you could do the work in consciousness to balance and heal that hatred. Um, that you're asking the question indicates that the energy of hate probably makes you feel uncomfortable and probably results in your own suffering. So uh, you would presumably like to transmute that energy into higher, more complete forms of expression. Um, because to put it simply, love feels a lot better. Uh, hatred cuts you off and imprisons you, and love frees and connects you. Hatred distorts your vision and love reveals to your vision the true nature of things. So uh, my brief thoughts regarding how to do that work in consciousness, being no expert on the subject, uh, at first accept that you have that energy within you, um, then accept responsibility for it. The Hate is an energy that, it's, that is inherently a blaming energy. Uh, it intrinsically identifies someone or something outside of the self as being responsible for your own inner state. And you've got to, um, to re if you really want to get to the root core of the problem, you've got to realize that you're the only one creating it, not the outer situation. Though the outer situation may need some work too. And then uh, do the work so often described in the Confederation philosophy, including examining yourself, loving yourself, looking into the mirror that the family member has offered you. And um, finally, in closing, Ra says in 102.11 that each entity must, in order to completely unblock Yellow Ray, love all which are in relationship to it, with hope only of the other selves, joy, peace, and comfort. Ra says all. That would include, I believe, the family member with whom there is some, or towards whom there is some hatred. So, how do you, as Ross says, hope only of the other selves' joy, peace, and comfort? One way to do that is to pray for them. Pray that they're happy and whole and complete, and um, pray that um, they receive the highest treatment that you would always expect from somebody. And um, you can, and bring love energy into that situation. It's a very powerful practice. And when it's done with discipline, it can transform everything, in my opinion. That's it for me. Very good. Um, Austin, how about you? What do you think here? Uh, extending Gary's answer, especially the parts about balance and acceptance... I have another quote from Ra from session 42, question 9, which sort of encapsulates my answer. And Ra said, To the truly balanced entity, no situation would be emotionally charged. With this understood, we may say the following. The repression of emotions depolarizes the entity insofar as it then chooses not to use the catalytic action of the space-time present in a spontaneous manner, thus dimming the energy centers. There is, however, some polarization towards positive if the cause of this repression is consideration for other selves. The entity which has worked long enough with the catalyst to be able to feel the catalyst but not find it necessary to express reactions is not yet balanced but suffers no depolarization due to the transparency of its experiential continuum. Thus the gradual increase in the ability to observe one's reactions and to know the self will bring the self ever closer to a truer balance. 
Patience is requested and suggested, for the catalyst is intense upon your plane, and it must be appreciated over a period of consistent learn teaching. And the relevant parts of that quote that I concentrate on would be the idea of observing one's reactions rather than expressing them, and the gradual increase in the ability to do so, as well as a suggestion for patience in the whole process. Uh, my own methods first involve uh, simple mindfulness, and this can be done in many different ways. And one good way is to start keeping a journal of these emotional moments in which you may feel hatred especially for the family. And whenever a situation elicits this feeling of hate, as soon as you are able to write down the time and the day and describe the situation which created this emotion. And if you do this consistently enough, you'll form a habit of really being aware of the emotion and what sorts of situations elicit that emotion. You'll start to perceive the nuances of your own psyche and your own distortions, and you'll begin to predict how and when emotions like this are triggered, and if needed, remove yourself from a situation so that disharmony is not perpetuated. Or at least, as Ra was talking about in the quote that I had mentioned, uh, not express it in a way that is... Uh, in consideration of other selves. So if you expressing your hate in the moment is harming somebody or perpetuating a disharmonious situation, then it could be beneficial to everybody involved to try to uh, keep yourself from really strongly expressing that towards other people. Another method of logging these situations and becoming mindful of them is to record a video of yourself talking about the situation, which is a very powerful tool. And if you do it as close to the emotional state as possible and then watch the video back, you'll feel like you are watching another person, especially if you are recording the video in an elevated emotional state and then later when you feel normal come back and watch it it can seem as though it's another person in the video that you're watching which can be helpful in observing yourself as sort of an objective person looking into your own eyes and looking at your own emotional state uh, reading your own face and sort of examining exactly how you're feeling and just that simple of expression in the video uh, can help and uh going back to watch it becomes an even more powerful tool. These are just a couple of many ways to remain mindful of our emotional states. Making it a point to observe and examine the emotion, I think, is the most important thing, and these are just ways to do that. Uh, you allow the emotion to exist, you give it space inside of you, you honor its presence without judgment, and appreciate the fact that even if these emotional reactions are not desirable on your path, you are making a concerted effort to be more self-aware and more loving towards others. And this is the most that any of us on the positive path can really do. And so realize that as you do this, you are really moving towards love and uh, accept yourself and realize that you were doing a good job in doing this and just because you had a moment of anger or you feel hatred you were trying to work on it and you shouldn't judge yourself for perhaps lapsing in your uh, loving state and I think as the awareness of this emotion increases 
Uh, you can take it to meditation and contemplation. You really dive into your consciousness to find the various distortions that are causing you to elicit this uh, emotional response of hate and dealing with these distortions as they come and accepting them and smoothing them. And as you observe these things in love, some of them will start to fall away. Some kind of seem to disappear quickly uh, that are kind of superficial distortions, I guess you could call them. And some are more gradual. They might take some time and some work to really get to the bottom of them. But as you get closer and closer to the root of the emotion or the distilled essence of the emotion, I think then you can take it into the balancing process as Ra described in session five, uh, which I'll read a little bit of it now. Um, the first part of this balancing process, Ra says, is to begin to master the concept of mental discipline, it is necessary to examine the self. The polarity of your dimension must be internalized. Where you find patience within your mind, you must consciously find the corresponding impatience and vice versa. Each thought a being has, has in its turn an antithesis. The disciplines of the mind involve, first of all, identifying both those things of which you approve and those things of which you disapprove within yourself, and then balancing each and every positive and negative charge with its equal. The mind contains all things, therefore you must discover this completeness within yourself. So as we work with the emotion and attempt to balance it, the love becomes more apparent. And perhaps it doesn't seem like the type of love that you feel in a more harmonious situation, but it's no longer an emotion that elicits a sense of hatred. You may feel moved by a situation and the emotion. You might feel moved to take action if these family members are doing something explicit to uh, inconvenience you, or if there's really something manifesting that at first caused you to feel this hatred, you might have uh, be moved in a way to address it in more loving ways. And uh, as Rob puts it, in the balanced individual, the energies lie waiting for the hand of the creator to pluck harmony. So once you work on this long enough and once you balance the hatred, if you're able to do that within your lifetime, then you'll be moved in the situations where you once felt hatred to then uh, feel love and act in a more loving manner. And I think... It's good to reiterate again the idea of patience and the fact that it's a gradual increase in the ability to observe one's reactions because we can feel failure if we spend time working on these emotions that we then sort of lapse later and fall back into those emotions. Uh, we might feel like we failed and we might feel like maybe what we're doing isn't so worthwhile if we fall back into the same old habits. But I think persistence and regular meditation and regular mindfulness will inevitably increase our awareness to the point where we can then work with the emotion to find the love within the moment. How about you, Jim? How do you feel about that one? Uh, well, that was a really good answer. Uh, you and Gary both have been so um, broad and uh explicit and in-depth here. I'm not sure what I've got left to talk about, but let's see what we can do. <laughs> Ross said that the uh, real value of other selves towards the seeker of truth is serving as a mirror. So we all are mirrors for each other. And as we look into another person's face and their experiences and the way they express themselves, if we see something that we don't like, it's usually, not always, but usually because there's something within ourselves that is this very same thing that we haven't yet been able to accept, haven't been able to balance. 
And when we are able to do that within ourselves, then we see people a little differently. Now, in this particular instance, it seems like there is a good deal of hatred that's being expressed here. And I'm not sure if there is a, I mean, there's been some good suggestions made about communicating uh, clearly and yet with compassion to try to let uh, the person know that you have the hatred for, that there is a problem, that you would like to work it out, and you would like to work with them to work it out. If you find that that's not really so possible, if that behavior or feature of that person continues to rankle your sensitivities, it may be that you'll need to work first within your own meditations, work in a solitary fashion, you know, to try to balance the situation. Again, looking at it as something that is a portion of yourself, because each of us is not only the creator, but we are the creator in the form of the other self standing in front of us that's giving us catalyst. Ra also mentioned how there are no mistakes, that when something like this occurs, if it's really a deep type of hatred and emotional uh, rejection of the other person that is just uh, bone deep, then maybe you need to look at something that is maybe even pre-incarnative in possibilities. And that, again, would suggest that you would need to work first with yourself in your own meditative state to try to find more of an equanimity and a balance within yourself before beginning to communicate as lovingly as possible with the uh, family member that is bringing this catalyst up for you. Um, especially family members, I think that's where most of us get our catalysts, especially to start with in this life. And if we get off on uh, a certain, I guess you say the wrong foot or down the wrong road, and we don't have any ability as a young child to get back on the road because we don't really understand how, to, how we got there and how to get back, and sometimes it gets ingrained within our natures in such an extent that uh, it takes a great deal of work to get back to harmony and to opening our hearts in love and being able to share that with everybody in the family. And it may be that if this is such a, a difficult problem that it doesn't want to uh, yield to resolution, that maybe for a while you would need to take a, a leave of that person and really try to get into your own heart and find out what's going on. Uh, see what happens when you're no longer with that person. Uh, see if this type of relationship or feeling pops up again with another person. Uh, if so, then it would suggest there really is something within yourself that you need to be working on. I think there are a lot of ways of uh, attacking this or approaching it. I guess approach would be a better word than attack, <laughs> uh, as Gary said to start with. Um, so somewhere in the smorgasbord of... Um, menu items here, I, I hope that we provided you something that might be helpful to you because this is a difficult situation. Feeling hatred for anybody is hard. When you feel it for your own family, that really does cut to the bone and, and, and to the quick. And it, that's really, really hard. So uh, we wish you a whole lot of luck with this and uh, send more questions if uh, you need some refinement. Anybody have any uh, final thoughts on this question? No, I don't. Thanks. Just a little... Uh, perhaps expansion on the idea of family. Gary and I didn't really talk a whole lot about the specifically the specific family side of this, which Folk Love uh, asked about. And uh, Jim, you mentioned pre-incarnative planning and the fact that seems like our family provides probably the most for most people provides the most catalyst out of anything we experience in this reality. And Jim, you've done a lot of recent uh, reading about pre-incarnative planning and stuff like that. And would you say family is generally 
normally chosen beforehand and we have these uh, catalysts with our family that are sort of um, goals for our lifetime that sort of establish the theme of our lifetime to work on these things? Oh, very definitely. Yeah, the family members are the primary source of our catalyst and pre-incarnated planning. We've all chosen it together. Yeah, I don't know, especially with my answer, if the method of dealing with hatred would be any different for family than with other people, but perhaps um, the patience might be required a little bit more with family because it seems like these distortions that cause catalysts with our family are much deeper and probably something that we wanted to spend a lifetime working on. There's a quote from Ram Das that is always stuck with me, and he says something like, do you think you're enlightened? Spend a weekend with your family. <laughs> Yeah, that seems about right. <laughs> I think the quote in the Bible is, a, a prophet has uh, honor except in his own hometown. Even Jesus was unable to work miracles within the presence of his own family from time to time. Mm. Wow. <laughs> That's fascinating. Yeah. Okay, uh, on to the next question. Yep, I think I'm done with that one. Okay, we have Re from Bring Forth. Could you briefly give us an overview of how we choose the path and go through the process of polarizing, i.e., the process of accepting slash rejecting catalyst, positive slash negative interpretation of catalyst? Austin, how about you? You're hot. Give this one a shot. Uh-oh. <laughs> Speaking of the idea of pre-incarnative planning and catalyst, I think that that is probably the primary factor in how we eventually make the choice. Uh, I think that according to Ra, it's sort of an inevitable thing that we come into this lifetime with planned catalyst that attempts to push us towards making that choice. And whether we acknowledge the catalyst and utilize it or ignore it, the catalyst can increase and persist. Or if we do uh, choose to utilize it, then that is effectively making the choice. Um, I have a couple of quotes from Ra that shed some light on this idea. In uh, session 83, uh, question 27, Ra said, uh, Such an entity is quite desirous of using Catalyst and has determined to its own satisfaction that what you may call the large board needs to be applied to the forehead in order to obtain the attention of the self. That's one of my favorite quotes because of Ra's humorous use of the large board needs to be applied to the forehead. I think they're essentially saying that an entity might plan for so much catalyst that it's, they are effectively knocking themselves on the head with a two-by-four to get them to pay attention to making the choice, to push them towards this uh, path of either service to others or service to self. And then the other question and answer from the Law of One was from session 19, question 16. Don asked, uh, through free will, sometime in third density experience, the path splits and an entity consciously, or probably not consciously, chooses. Does an entity consciously choose this path at the initial starting point, splitting point? And Ra responded, uh, we speak in generalities, which is dangerous for always inaccurate. However, we realize you look for... Th- the overview, so we will eliminate anomalies and speak of majorities. The majority of third density beings are far along the chosen path before realize the realization of that path is conscious. And so I think that also implies that there is 
already sort of a bias present within us before we really consciously start utilizing our catalyst that we will uh sort of start to sway in one direction or the other and accepting and utilizing our catalyst to learn more about ourselves so we can more effectively uh, react harmoniously and react with love or on the other side of the path react with control or use catalysts to uh, learn to better control ourselves and others. So I think there's a combination of both catalyst that we plan for in our lifetime, random catalyst, and then this bias that's already present uh, within us that Don asked about at one point and Ra gave the analogy of the picnic. Uh, I don't have it ready for me, but essentially the quote implied that um, there's sort of already a bias present due to the free will of the creator to know itself, and some entities simply enjoy the light, and some entities simply enjoy the dark, and they're both valid paths to the one creator. But it seems that Ra is kind of saying that we'll already be along one of these paths before we really realize that we are walking a path. Okay. Gary, what do you think? Austin quoted in 1916, and I had that up on deck along with uh, the following two, 17 and 18. Um, I think, actually, I think that um, Re is asking a how question, and before getting into the how, there's the why question. Why do the polarities, uh, rather, why do entities choose one polarity over the other. And Don asked this, and uh, Austin was um, paraphrasing this Q&A, and it's 1917. Don says, can you tell me what bias creates their momentum towards the chosen path of service to self? And Ra replies, we can speak only in metaphor. Some love the light, some love the darkness. It is a matter of the unique and infinitely various creator choosing and playing among its experiences as a child upon a picnic. Now, I'll stop the quote right there to focus on the child upon a picnic idea. I think that phrase is really um, rich for further examination as a metaphor in that it implies that the third density entity is a child in this particular environment. The child is affected by the environment and um, the stimulus, the sights and the sounds and the people and the smells, but as a child, is somewhat uninformed and doesn't have the larger point of view. Um, To continue with Ra's response, Ra says, Some enjoy the picnic and find the sun beautiful, the food delicious, the games refreshing, and glow with the joy of creation. Some find the night delicious, their picnic being pain, difficulty, suffering of others, and the examination of the perversities of nature. These enjoy a different picnic. All these are, sorry, all these experiences are available. It is the free will of each entity which chooses the form of play, the form of pleasure. So that's Ra's uh, answer in metaphor as to why a bias is created, why an entity chooses service to self or service to others. Uh, Rie's question, though, is focused on the how. So starting from the why point, um, I don't fully understand the how, but I think it starts where uh, Austin was headed on on a a deeper level, um, especially as he quoted 19.16 when Ross says most entities are 
are far, far along the chosen path before they become conscious <laughs> that they're on a path. So um, something forms a bias in the entity. Uh, the entity decides how they want their picnic. Um, and the entity develops an affinity for the energies of service to others or service to self. And gradually, that initial seed bias, um, which is likely completely unconscious, but Ross said they spoke in generalities, so that's not always the case. That bias collects further experience. It enlargens and uh, eventually breaks through to conscious awareness. And then we begin to consciously furnish distilled experience and further accelerate the process of our polarization. And as we accelerate the, the process, we analyze circumstances or situations or the moment in terms of our particular polarity. We consciously look to situations with an eye towards service, acceptance, and love, and surrender. Um, we develop this uh, foundation and a framework of perception that we use to process life material. Um, we use catalysts to strengthen and build that orientation until eventually, after considerable work over presumably a considerable span of time, um, that framework and viewpoint and orientation becomes crystallized and it's more or less effortless to see the world through those sorts of eyes and to respond to situations in certain ways um and in in trying to tackle this question of how polarization happens um i was reminded of something that jim quoted recently in the camelot journal uh jim quoted carla as saying as beginners in the school of life and love, we are like soft iron, pulled to the magnet, but not in any lasting way. However, as we make and remake the choice of love over fear, giving, overtaking, and so forth, we gradually impart to ourselves a permanent status as magnet rather than simply magnetized. Once this is achieved, our work is exponentially easier, but it is a long time in coming, and we are never through within this density, with the making of ethical choices. Then Jim, in the journal, went on to add, This process is kind of like muscle memory for the mind and the heart. After enough practice, we get the hang of it and gain a kind of spiritual momentum that builds upon itself, and we become adepts of the open heart. Uh, I, I really liked um, both the way Jim and Carla put it there. And... Um, I think uh, in different words, that's saying we simply become increasingly aware of who it is we are, what it is we want, what it is we are seeking, and upon what principles and ethics and ideals we wish to build our lives. And I believe this is likely true of either path. And the further along we go on either path, the more opportunities we have to go further along on either path. That's my attempt Okay, see, so yeah, you started, didn't you, Austin? Kind of lost the order. Yes, here. I did. Yeah. Okay, well, uh, maybe as a closing thought here on my part, um, I think that the uh, pre-incarnated choices are mostly responsible for the path that we find ourselves on as we enter the incarnation because we've, we're here under the seniority vibration concept. That means that people who are here now have the greatest chance to graduate or be harvested. So we've probably had that path chosen. We've probably chosen it ourselves in previous lives. So that's kind of a little gift we brought with us. And as we go through this life and Catalyst comes our way, 
then that bias that we have begins, as Gary said, to and, and Carla said, to um, help us to choose the positive path, to look towards acceptance and to opening the heart and feeling compassion and love rather than uh, rejection or fear or controlling or doubt or anxiety or jealousy, all these other mm. possibilities that we could be uh, choosing. So after a certain point, we discover what we believe and what we really want to follow. And we hone that choice and we get better and better at it. And at some point, it seems like there's a, a tipping point that it becomes almost automatic that we don't have to think so much about it. That when we find ourselves in a situation with another person that could go in any number of ways, it goes the way of love because that's the way we are. And I think that's what we're all shooting for. And eventually, uh, as Ross says, who can say uh, when a, a seeker will finally turn the head and see the, the new the path, see the, the love and the light of the creator all around? Well, at some point we do. And I think that is something to look forward to and to keep on climbing that mountain until we get there. Mm-hmm. Any further final thoughts, folks? Not for me. Thank you. Uh, uh, thank you, Folklove and Rie. Um, let's see. We have, yeah, we're a little past our time. I was going to say we could get a little, just a couple more minutes of use out of Rie's question because I think <laughs> there's something she was asking that uh, none of us really touched on, and that is her uh, asking about the process of accepting rejecting catalyst or positive slash negative interpretation of catalyst. And I thought it might be useful if we could maybe just give an example of the process, maybe a specific example of doing that with catalyst. If do you, either of you have anything in mind that you could give an example of? Well, uh, the most salient catalyst I've been working with lately is the fact that Carla's no longer here and I, uh, I miss her presence, her physical presence. So I have grief. And that grief is something that needs to be felt. Unless you can feel it, you can't heal it. So I let myself feel the grief. I let myself go into the tears and get a kind of a cathartic release for the moment. And then in order to balance the grief, I again explore the great gratitude I have for all the time we had together. 34 years of incredible memories. And I think once that I'm able to do that, then... I have a balanced situation. Um, and I think that the balance is what we're looking for in all our catalysts. So for me, that's the, the, the most important catalyst I've been using lately and how I've been doing it. Uh, I guess off the cuff, in my case, one example that comes to mind is that, uh, especially in my high school years, I had a great deal of anger for... Um, my mom and dad, my mom a lot, of course, that's typical of the teenage years too, but, um, just kind of blindly acted it out. I didn't, there was little self-reflection on my part, little analysis, little attempt to get to the root of it and to balance it and to do all that work. And, um, I, this was in my pre-spiritual uh, days. I was consider myself asleep at the wheel during that time. It was prior to my own awakening. And upon awakening and um, learning of the possibilities of spiritual evolution and the possibilities that this planet offers and the need to do work in consciousness and to come into my own heart, uh, I began a very long, multi-year, still ongoing process <laughs> to uh, examine those energies inside and not just blindly um, react, 
but um, to see what's happening inside myself and become aware of the patterns. And uh, I think that is an act of polarizing to um, take one's catalyst and not justify it and act it out per se, um, but to uh, become aware of it and to bring it into the open heart and then to hopefully witness um, transformation as a result and healing. Austin, how about you? <laughs> uh, thank you both. Those are very uh, personal answers that uh, I appreciate your sharing. Um, I could give a very, uh, maybe a less personal example, very simplistic of a type of catalyst that people might experience day to day. And that would be something like road rage. Let's say somebody cuts you off in traffic and you feel angry at them. And I think the process of accepting or controlling catalyst, um, that's one refinement I'd make to Rie's question is she says accepting slash rejecting catalyst. But I think Ra would probably frame it more as accepting slash controlling catalyst. Um, controlling that catalyst would be to take that anger and grab it and uh, use it to feed your actions. And maybe you use that anger to uh, cut them off and pass them and try to keep them from uh, going where they're going on the road. And you really sort of allow that anger to make you feel like you're uh, taking control of that other person because they, you feel like they took control of you by cutting you off. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a, a negative or uh, interpretation or accepting of that catalyst might be to, uh, as similarly as Gary and Jim were just saying about how they process their own personal catalyst and um, allowing it to be within themselves, looking at it, accepting it, and uh, ultimately asking yourself, where is the love in this moment? What is stopping me from seeing love? Why do I only see this anger when this person cuts me off? And um, that's probably a simplistic example. But actually, that is kind of a personal example because I think a big part of my spiritual awakening started when I was delivering pizza. And early (laughs) on, when I delivered pizza, I could tell if I don't stop road raging, this will probably be the most stressful job I've ever had in my life. (laughs) So uh, I very quickly learned to just let things be on the road. And if somebody cuts me off, just, you know, it's nothing personal they are just a jerk on the road and you can just let them pass you sit back relax and continue humming a song as you go to your destination you don't really need to react to people on the road like that so uh i think that's another more simplistic example of the process of accepting or controlling catalyst it's catalyst that everyone has every day for sure Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah Ra even makes a mention of it, and they say something about our modes of transport being a rich source of <laughs> catalyst for controlling others, or exploring the idea of controlling others. And real quickly, I wanted to in- insert 19.18, and Rie is probably aware of these three Q&As anyways, but um, 19.18 helps to shed further light on her question, I think. Uh, Ra talks about um, that the further an entity has polarized, um, that the more easily an entity may change polarity because uh, there is more power and awareness that the entity will have. And then Ra goes on to say that those truly helpless are those who have not consciously chosen, but who 
repeat patterns without knowledge of the repetition or the meaning of the pattern. And I think that's helpful to consider. Um, knowledge of the repetition or the meaning of the pattern um, that to polarize is to become uh, more aware and more aware of what? More aware of the patterns we're all swimming in and um, more able to interpret their meaning and more able to use those patterns for further growth. And that's all. Okay. Any final thoughts? None for me. Okay. It's been a good show, guys. Um, We'd like to send our love to you all, especially folks that send in questions. We really appreciate the questions. We hope you have a really good week. Let's see. I'm uh, starting to say what's already in here. You have been listening (laughs) to LL Research's weekly podcast, In the Now. If you've enjoyed the show, please visit our websites, llresearch.org and bringforth.org. Thanks so much for listening. And a special thank you to those who submitted questions. If you'd like to send us a question for us before the next show, please read the instructions on our page at www.llresearch.org forward slash podcast. New episodes are published to the archive website every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern. Have a wonderful week. <laughs>